to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him belong power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings to you, not only from the 65 singers in our college choir and their director, Professor Adrian, but from the rest of the 830 campus family members, students, staff, and faculty of Martin Luther College, your Wells College of Ministry, or the next generation of staff ministers and teachers and pastors for St. Lucas and for 1,200 sister congregations across the country and for mission fields around our country and around the world. That's where they're training. That's who I bring you greetings from. 150 years is a long time that St. Lucas is celebrating this year. If we would take the time to go back through all 15 decades, our list of things for which to be thankful to God would be long. But I also have a hunch that during those 150 years at St. Lucas, just as at any congregation from whom we may be gathered this morning, there are also those things that perplex us. Those things in the history of past or present where we wonder what God is doing or what he was doing. And we have a tough time figuring it all out. But the number of those is nothing compared perhaps to all those things in our own families where we wonder what God is doing. And maybe that number pales in comparison yet to the number of things in our own personal lives that we wonder about, that we don't understand. And while it may never come out of our mouth, the temptation for our hearts is to quarrel with God at those times. That second lesson you heard read from Romans 11, it's a beautiful doxology from the Apostle Paul, but in the middle of it, he's really answering three quarrels, three arguments we tend to have with God. And the Apostle Paul knew about those because his own heart must have quarreled with his God many times too. Did you hear the first? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Here it comes. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Paul acknowledges there are many things about how God runs his world that we just don't understand. His wisdom, unsearchable. We would like to be able to understand A plus B plus C equals D, but we have a tough time following him. His paths, untraceable as he works his way through time and history. I, I think of the dot-to-dot -dot things that sometimes children and my grandchildren do. As, as they're drawing a picture following one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But as we try, it just doesn't make any sense. And then we figure out there's probably a lot of dots we don't even know exist. And at those times we wonder, Lord, what are you doing? Why do you allow something like a Hurricane Ian to devastate so much of the Florida Gulf Coast? Or on a more personal level, why do you let the winds of cancer blow through my family? or my life. 
And the danger is when we cannot make sense of it that we judge God to be unfaithful. If we can't figure it out, it must not make sense. There's a part of us that longs to live by sight, not by faith. And when our hearts and sometimes even our lips quarrel with our God, the kinds of praise we're hearing flowing from our choir this morning and from our lips as we sing the hymns can grow quite faint. And worst of all, it's at work to silence and extinguish our faith. But there were two more quarrels, two more arguments we tend to have with God that Paul's referring to. Did you catch the second? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Those are the times when we can't figure out what God is doing, but we think we've got it figured out. We know what he should do. Lord, it's obvious this is what would be best, as we in our prayers inform him of what he should be doing. How easy it is for us to turn the third petition of the Lord's Prayer upside down. Not your will be done, Lord, but mine. This is what should be done. And when we pray and pray, and it doesn't seem that God's listening, he doesn't answer at least as we would want him to, and not in the time we would have him do so, again, we can judge him unfaithful, as if somewhere in Scripture it told us that prayer was a tool by which we coerce God to do what we want. Again, when we quarrel with God in that way, praise grows quiet. And our faith is in danger of being extinguished. And then comes the third one Paul referenced. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. Here's the quarrel that sometimes occurs to us as things aren't going as we would plan. Lord, don't we deserve better? Lord, don't you know that I and my family have been part of St. Lucas, or whatever congregation you would add, for how many generations, Lord? We faithfully attended worship and Bible study. We don't live and talk like the world out there, you know, Lord, those people, how they speak and how they live. But sometimes, Lord, it seems that you treat the wicked better than you treat your own. What are you doing? As if life were some grand bargain by which we serve God, and then he owes us something for that. Really, Paul says. Really? For from him, and to him, and through him, is everything. I have never given to God anything that didn't first come from his hand. And if he gave me what he owed me, I would not want it. I would be in his debt forever. But how easy to think of life as some kind of bargain by which God owes us, and then again we can conclude he's being unfaithful. And again, praise when we think and argue so with our God grows silent, and faith being snuffed out. And yet, remarkably, as Paul begins and ends this section, it is doxology, it is praise. How did he end? To him be the glory forever. How can you say that, Paul? 
After all these things we just said, we can't figure out what he's doing. He has not asked for our counsel and advice. And sometimes it's as if he doesn't think he owes us anything, which of course he doesn't. How can Paul speak such words of praise? This whole doxology of Romans 11 is the conclusion of three awe-inspiring chapters, 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. Let me read the grand conclusion, which is the verse right before this doxology. This is Romans 11, verse 32. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on them all. That is what led Paul to the glorious doxology. That was what filled him with awe and wonder, even when he couldn't also search out everything of God or understand all that God was doing. When, when he felt like he was giving God some good advice and he wasn't taking it, and when his own sinful heart would think that God owed him for all his sufferings and difficulties, what filled him with doxology? When he remembered, finally, that God had rightly handed the world over to its own sin, rightly proclaimed the entire world disobedient. But, but, the merciful and gracious heart of God delighted in nothing more than that he might show mercy on us all. Talk about unsearchable and untraceable paths. Who would have thought that the eternal Son of God would clothe himself in flesh and blood and enter our world with all of its trouble and struggle? Who of us would have given God the advice? You know, what you should do, you know, is have your eternal son take on flesh and blood and let him face all the judgment for all of our sin. He didn't owe, you didn't owe any of that, but give it all to him. Who of us would have thought to advise God in that? But that's what he did. Moved by his own gracious heart for every one of us, for the entire world, for all. Who would have thought that all that he did owe us, he would pay to himself. That he might give us heaven. Citizenship in his kingdom. Forgiveness for every sin, yes, all the times we've quarreled and argued with him, at least in our hearts. All gone. All gone. It's any wonder then that Paul breaks out in this awesome doxology. When our eyes are fixed on what we do know, Christ and him crucified and risen, Christ, the great high priest who you heard in the gospel lesson, who prayed for us the night before he dies, looks all the way to the end of eternity for those he will gather to himself. Who would not praise such a God? When our eyes are on Jesus. Praise comes from heart and lip and life. And that is what Martin Luther College is all about. 
It is not a place where we answer all questions that could ever be asked. It's not a place where we can figure everything out, where we can give God advice for all the things he could be doing better. There is much that will remain hidden from us till heaven. But this we do. Our single goal is to fill the hearts of the young men and women like the ones you see here every day with the wonder of the immeasurable, untraceable mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose width and length and height and depth of that love cannot be measured ever. Our goal is to fill them so full of that in their hearts that praise and the proclamation of that grace breaks out of their lips that they might instruct young and old in the glory and the wonder of the mercy of our God. 150 years. It's a long time that God has blessed St. Lucas with his grace and mercy. And through those years, there may indeed be many things that can't be fully understood of what God was doing. And our own life, for all of us, the list can be quite endless. But this we know. God has determined in our Lord Jesus Christ to have mercy on us all. And his love and compassion knows no boundaries. And all that we want to quarrel and quibble with him now will be forgotten in the glory and majesty that are ours already now, but that will be visibly, eternally ours forever with him. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we praise his glorious name. Amen. May that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him. Amen.